Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life, life, life. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. Byron White here with Karen. Karen, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So I have my own theories of, of, uh, of, of outsmarting overeating, the, the, the name of your fabulous new book. Uh, but you're the expert here, not me. Tell me a little bit about your journey in, in wanting to help us all with uh, really the psychology of eating and why we're just not good at, at saying no to these problems. Tell us a little bit about your background and even going back to the, to the first or a few of your books um, and, and, and your, your passion for this topic area. Well, my interest in, in uh, eating started when I was a, a kid and a, a teenager, and I would go from binge eating to dieting, and um, I would like to say I really enjoyed food, but I, I, but I didn't. I ate for the wrong reasons, and um, when I got my life more in control, my eating in control, which is about um, half my life ago because I'll be 68, I started taking more of a clinical interest in helping other people and went back and got uh, two degrees and um, started helping uh, what I call trouble or dysregulated eaters and uh, started writing books about it. Hmm. And here I am. We're lucky to have you today. you've, You've chosen to sort of tackle, I would suggest more than just eating dilemmas. You talk about sort of these eight essential life skills that people need before they can even begin to tackle their own eating disorders, Um, and they're way broader than just eating disorders. Can you explain your your tie-in to these life skills um, and and how that's so critical with with the movement that you're really starting here? When, I mean, my, my premise is what if our eating issues aren't really about food? What if they're about how we mismanage the rest of life, which mm-hmm. causes us such emotional pain and stress that we end up turning to food either for coping and comfort or for fun and pleasure? And uh, it's based on the idea that if you develop your skills to negotiate life better, you're going to have a better life and food will just fall into where it should be, um, something for nourishment and occasional pleasure. Hmm. I have a particular problem, and I want you to try to relate the book to it and explain to me why it could help me. So I'm your classic case of, you know, fruit and yogurt in the morning, super healthy, salad at lunch, maybe toss in some soup on snow days here in Boston like we have now. Um, And uh, then I go home, and I'm starving, and I walk in the door, and my habits tell me, oh, let's have a few crackers, let's have some nuts, let's have some almonds, let's have some this, let's have some that, while I'm cooking dinner. (laughs) So in a matter of a very short period of time, I probably consume 1,000-plus calories if you count dinner, and then some snacks or piece of chocolate. What is up with that? Why can I not say no to that particular incident? And and do I have to reevaluate some of the, the problems in my life here to figure that out? Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, interestingly, this is really more about 
um, appetite, which is you're starving. I mean, you, you put in a, a a good day's work, and where we're starving, our bodies scream at us. Well, if you're starving, go eat. So, um, what I'm what I'm guessing is it is your body wanting more food, and what would happen if you ate more, you know, substantively during the day if you had more food? What we tend to do is not eat enough before dinner and then make up the, for the calories after dinner, which is exactly backwards. Mm-hmm. You want to start off heavier and end up lighter. Mm-hmm. So how could, you know, how could you do that and um, eat more uh, protein perhaps during the day? Mm-hmm. I know, I, I, and, and, and is it, do you think it's that simple really or do you feel like there's some habits that have formed for example one of my favorite eating habits is dried mangoes have you ever had dried mangoes yes i have oh my gosh they are so awesome they are so incredible i could eat like 15 or 20 dollars worth of, of dried mangoes in before before dinner i mean it's, they're just just so wonderfully healthy, but also addicting in the sense that what's going on with that? Why can I not stop eating mangoes? Well, you know, it's it's hard to give you just a, a specific um, answer, but you know, again, your um, uh, the the answer is sort of embedded in your question, which is you are in the habit of of eating them. My question would be, how how do you eat them? Do you eat them without distraction? Do you just eat them slowly and really chew to release flavor, which is what chewing is for? Do you let the mango sit on your tongue where your taste buds are? Do you constantly look for that peak flavor so that you'll know, well, it's not, doesn't taste as lively anymore. And Mm -hmm. so that means it's time to end. Mm -hmm. Do you eat that way when you eat your mango? I do not look for signals from my brain to tell me to stop eating. That's for sure. I just, I just keep eating. (laughs) Right. And, and in fact, in terms of evolution, our bodies are made to, for flavor to peak. But what that can Mm -hmm. only happen when we are eating slowly, because if, if they weren't made that way, we would always eat too much and um, wouldn't, li- wouldn't survive, or we would eat too little. So if you look for that peak moment, it, it is there. And if you can train yourself to find it, you know, it's also like falling in love. We love that infatuation. We love the beginning. And then when that starts to fade, we, rather than move on to the other part of the relationship, which is love, we um, we go on and look for the infatuation. That's sort of what we do with food. We want it to taste as good as it did in that first bite, and it ain't mm-hmm. going to happen. It's like mm-hmm. you're done, and you can say, "Well, I can have these mangoes whenever I want. I'm going to wait till I really want them again." Tell me about your life skills pre-assessment, which is really in the introduction of of the of the book. Why is that well, important for you, and why did you include to to choose that test? Uh, I did this. This is my second book that I did a pre and a post assessment in because I want people to think about this as learning. People feel so discouraged about 
not eating healthfully, um, overeating, binge eating, um, not weighing what they want, not looking what they want. It's just consuming for them. So what I want them to think of is this is like when you go to school. You, mm-hmm. you, you take stock of what you don't know. You go in, you learn it, and then you practice until you're more proficient. And um, that's a better way to look at the subject than, oh, can I do this? I'm going to fail once again. Oh, eating, it's such a problem. So that's one of the reasons that I use the pre- and post-assessment. Hmm. Tell me your thoughts on some 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 cutting edge technology that's that's in in the progress of being developed and the future of how we're monitor our weight and our and our different metrics. What are your thoughts on technology and, and its place in in the in the in the in the, in the game of life and eating and diet um, and exercise? My take is that we live in the most fat phobic, thin obsessed culture in the history of the world, <laughs> and it's not doing us any good. Hmm. So we are focused on outcomes. We're a very external culture. We look for external satisfactions and motivations. And weight is at the end of a process of eating. So when you eat more according to appetite and also healthfully, then the weight or the BMI um, comes out a lot better. But you want to start at the beginning of the process, not at the end. So I don't encourage clients to weigh themselves because I want them to focus on the eating part. Now, in in terms of fitness, um, I encourage people to be active and do things that they like. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's walking the dog. Maybe it's dancing around while you're ironing. I don't know. But um, the minute we start talking about formal exercise and fitness, a lot of people get scared off. So um, uh, my take and my focus is on getting people more in tune with their body and what their body wants in terms of eating and activity. What kind of results should one expect if they read your book and, and, and understand really what's happening a little bit more? Do you think that it's 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 a uh, – are people – going to your book to look for change? Do they want to lose weight? Or do you feel they want to be smart and understand the process around it and be comfortable with where they are and focusing more on life improvement? Um, well, people who are familiar with my first, um, well, there, I have, this is my sixth book. Um, I have four others that are written for the general public and one was written for therapists. But if they're familiar with my books, they uh, know I'm going to cover a range of things. I'm, this is not a quick fix, but that I'm going to be looking at helping them improve their lives because you can't improve your life and not your eating. You can't improve your eating and not your life. They, they are inextricably intertwined. So um, in, in this particular book, it, they will come away with better life skills. Because, um, you know, what you learn and put attention on and do over and over again, you just can't help but get better on. But that said, life skills is not the only focus for improving a relationship with food. Mm -hmm. 
In your mind, how long does it take to to perfect life skills? And does anybody have really mastered the art of of of, of skilling life? <laughs> I'm not that sure. Yeah, that's a word. I like that skilling life. Um, oh, I I never look at perfection because we are imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. Humans are not meant to be perfect. So we will always be striving to improve life skills, and that's fine. Um, the minute you go for perfection, that's enormous pressure, and it's, uh, it's a fantasy because it's not going to happen. But um, being able to say, uh, I need help with this. I need help, for instance, with uh, balancing work and play or picking the right people in my life, or just taking care of my body, um, or problem solving. So if you look at all these different areas and you improve in each of them, it can't help but make life better and eating easier. But as I said, you know, the life skills is one thing. People um, want to get better at emotional eating, and that's part, that's, it's a life skill, but it's also a, a, maybe one of the largest reasons that people turn to food. Um, other people have really um, mixed feelings about getting healthier, giving up food, losing weight, maybe having to do with sexual abuse or not having other ways to comfort themselves or having an identity of suffering. I deal with that in another book. And just beliefs, you know, what is it that you believe? If you believe you have to eat all the food on your plate, you're not going to become a normal eater. So others of my, of my books deal with um, our beliefs and getting a healthy belief system, and then that will dictate how you feel and behave. Does our interest in food have roots in our upbringing and perhaps a direct correlation and tie-in, even if it's subliminally, to to the habits we had when we were young and growing up and even watching our parents eat and their diet and behavior and fascination for either gourmet food or lousy food or unhealthy food. Uh, and do we, do we seek a connection back to that starting point in our lives, in your opinion? Yes to every facet of that question. <laughs> yes. Um, in our our uh, first movements as infants are to eat. So ha a part of um, uh, eating has to do with uh, attachment and feeling that we can get enough of what we want. Can we get our needs met? What happened when we were fed? Um, was mom yelling at dad or dad yelling at mom, or was it a peaceful, calm, wonderful experience? Um, role modeling, which you mentioned, is very important because no matter what our parents tell us, we tend to do what they do because we're really torn. Should we do what they say or do what these people who are so important to us do? So role modeling is the most important thing. I have parents ask me, well, what can I do to get my kids to be um, normal, healthy eaters? And I'll say, be a normal, healthy eater. So there's that. Um, there's other problems in the family. There's a high correlation. It's not a cause and effect, but a correlation between sexual abuse and eating disorders. Um, 
there are um, personality traits. If you have all or nothing thinking, success or failure, want to be a perfectionist, have to do everything yourself, can't depend on other people, uh, people pleasing, those things also uh, come into the mix. And um, it's important that those traits, those traits get straightened out so that you can think about eating more clearly. And um, it's, it's important for all of us to think about what are the messages I learned about food and eating and feeding myself, taking care of myself in childhood. And if those messages aren't rational and helpful, then we've got to, um, you know, as adults, find new beliefs to base our lives on. Let's take a break, everyone. Back in just a few minutes with some more impossible questions for Karen to answer. Back in just a minute. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Karen, thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, wow. This is fun. Oh, boy. We're going to exhaust you with a couple of doozers here. My first one is, what is the fear we have in changing our diets? Do you think we have a fear, literally, of changing our habits and behaviors when it comes to how much we eat and how healthy we eat? 
Is there oh, fear yes. there? Yes, there is definitely fear, and my book, Starting Monday, addresses those fears. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the fear? What would we be afraid oh, well, of? Well, there's there's a number of things. Um, <laughs> one is what, you know, if we use food, let's say, for entertainment and pleasure, mm-hmm. what will I, my life revolve around? Mm-hmm. How will I get pleasure in life if it's not through food? And people are terrified um, because very often there are people who are depressed to begin with or tend to be depressed and they're afraid they'll have more depression. Um, other people are bored and they don't just don't know what they would do with themselves. You know, they're they're sort of drifting through life. They don't have things where they'll say, oh, I forgot to eat, because they're just not that engaged in life, and they don't want to face that void or that vacuum. Other people um, use food for comfort, and they're um, terrified of not having that comfort because it's so painful to them, which means that they need to develop skills to self-soothe and relax and comfort themselves. So those are three examples of how our Mm -hmm. fears get in the way. I was also thinking, and tell me if I'm wrong, but this sort of expression of our own success, you know, we we want to go to the high quality and the finest of restaurants to flaunt our wealth and our success. And the more we do that, the more powerful perhaps we are, the more we display that. I was also thinking of the, the pressure of, of, of food entertainment, right, you know, for the foodies that are coming over and gourmet foods and lots of it, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, colossal shrimp and <laughs> on and on and on. Um, yes. Are those, are those similar fears that, that, that we – Am I am I spot on on that, or tell me if I'm off? Well, I I think so. You know, we when I was growing up, we and there have been books written about it. And food is love. Um, mm. Now it's it's a sort of a spectacle. Mm-hmm. And I think you know it, it, the examples that you've given, um, mm-hmm. so that you walk away and you say, "Ah, oh, that was the most fabulous meal um, ever," and that's what people are talking about, as opposed to how the food felt in your body, um, how it felt that somebody made it for you and shared it with you and what Uh happened while you were eating. So, yeah, uh, that's another big issue. So, you know, one of the problems that I think is uh, prevalent that I'd love you to to address is this sort of mind-sharing problem of healthy foods. for example, when we, if you're not a vegetarian and you meet a vegetarian, you know, you, you, there's this sort of awkwardness, like you can't understand them or relate to them, or why would you do that? You know, why would you give that up? And can you comment on that a little bit and, and what our, what our challenges are as we need to have better mind share on the realities for healthy eating? Well, I, you know, I'm an ex-school teacher. I taught third grade for several years. And I used to say to the kids, my, you know, eyes on your own paper. I really believe eyes on your own plate. And you worry about what you're eating and what feels good in your body, what is healthy for you, what's satisfying, and let other people do what they want. Now, this is, it's hard on both ends. If... People are eating healthier than you, 
um, you might feel ashamed. You might want them to not eat so healthfully. Um, you might not understand why they eat like they do, but frankly, I'm not sure why we would need to understand it. Um, or people around you may really eat um, very non-nutritiously. But um, our best bet, except for kids, of course, is to focus on our own eating. Tell me about consequences and how the mind processes the consequences. For example, when I have my, you know, 20 mangoes and, you know, two handfuls of, of, uh, of almonds, of course they are organic almonds, I guess, so that's good, um, you know, while, before I eat dinner, and then I eat dinner, and, you know, the calorie burn there is, again, the calorie counts probably over a 1,000 calories, you know, for all that I've consumed in that half an hour into having before dinner and cooking it, and you know what I'm saying? But my mind does not process the consequences of that. Why is that? Because it's obvious. It's right there in front of me. I'm going to answer that in two ways. One is because we're human. And we don't always think rationally, even though we, we have the capacity to, and uh, we would like to think that we always do. So what, one is that's just the nature of living on the planet. Um, the, the other is, I, I would guess, that there's something about the consequences that you don't want to think about because then you might change your behavior. And... One one thing that really helps is if you were to say to yourself, I'm going to have fewer mangoes or I'm going to save them for after dinner, saying no to yourself, finding the yes in the no. So what do you get out of it? How would you feel if you ate fewer mangoes, had more appetite for dinner, weren't as hungry as you came home? At the end of the day, my guess is you might feel pretty good about yourself and pretty proud of yourself. So to not just think about what we would consider the negative consequences, the giving up something, but you would definitely get something positive out of that experience if you changed it, yes? One would think. Now, do you live your life believing that in order to get something, you're going to have to give something up? No. I mean, I know that that's, in a sense, true. Um, it's true of all of life. It's sort of a philosophical or a metaphysical point, but I I don't I I, I don't think much about what uh, I'm I'm a person I'm fortunate I'm pretty engaged in the moment and um, so I'm looking at what I have occasionally I get into you know times where I'm feeling oh I wish I had this or that but. That, that feels so rotten. Why would you want to be there? <laughs> well, here's why. Um, it, historically, I have had that philosophy, besides the fact that my father's a philosopher and taught me that at a very young age. And he tied it in by saying, look, you can either choose what you want to give up in life and make that decision on your own, or others around you will make the decisions and your, your alternatives will be cut off because of your bad decisions. And there isn't enough time in the day to do everything, for example. But I carried the metaphor over into playing hockey and it sort of became like a superstition from my perspective. Um, you know, and it, and it often it tied a little bit into diet, you know, where I, I would say, look, if I, if I overeat, I will not score a goal this Saturday. You know, I would, I would think that in my mind somehow. 
you know, so it was like this superstitious training ground for diet when I was in college. Um, I had my routines and I had things that were just odd. A lot of hockey players apparently, apparently I've learned over the years are like this just because it's such a fast reactionary game. You, you need to go into these games with, with great confidence and, and great uh, feeling that you've done more and you've given up more than others to get the goals. And you, you, does that make sense to you now? And, oh, and do you think that, that I'm my off husband, my rocker? <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because my husband's family grew up in uh, Beverly and, and all the boys played hockey, and as did my father-in-law. So, oh, uh, so I understand huh? what you're saying where you need to be psyched and you need to be positive and focused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, in terms of giving things up, it is the nature of life. Uh, uh, and with... With food, I think nothing feels better than pride. So if you can get pride in yourself for, for however it is you handle food, it doesn't get better than that. Mm-hmm. And to also realize we, we can't have everything. And to go back to how does this food feel in my body when I eat it? How does it feel a couple hours later? How does it feel the next day? Because that's often a missing piece. People don't think about how food feels in their body. So when you eat a lot, I would say, you know, pay attention to how it feels in your body. My guess is it doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. And if it but I think you're right great, on the other point you were making, though, that our, that our minds, even if we don't feel great, we still keep going. You know, we still keep eating. It's unbelievable. You know, Thanksgiving is a great day for this discussion to talk about that. Why do we do that to ourselves? It's, it's the day where there's a license to just eat too much, period, the end. And we feel good about um, it, right? What's your take I, on Thanksgiving? Well, people do that, and it's fine with them, and they know they're going to overeat. Um, and for some people, that's fine. Uh, for other people... I, I rarely overeat. I just don't like the feeling. From all the years that I binged and I dieted, I don't like to um, be very, very, very hungry, and I don't like to be full. It just doesn't feel good in my body. So um, I don't care what day it is. I think we have this idea that I'll never have these foods again, or we get caught up in the moment or um, conversations, and um, as opposed to sticking with our bodies. But you know, if you do it for one day or two days, it really doesn't make much of a difference. How are restaurants playing into this 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 challenge that we all have? Are they understanding our weaknesses? Are they over-serving us so we keep coming back because we want to indulge? They're... It depends. If you're talking about fast food restaurants, you know, for sure. When they blow out exhaust, they blow out the stuff into the parking lot as you're walking in that smells really good. And do they do that intentionally? Yes. There's, you know, wonderful books written about um, what the food industry has done to us for a profit. Uh, one, of them, one of them is uh, David Kessler's The End of Overeating. Um, and... Um, so for sure that happens, but restaurants serve a need, and they're not going to serve us stuff that we don't want. So there are other kinds of restaurants 
that um, really prepare food well, and they maybe try to buy local and organic, and they really want to make it a pleasant meal. Um, it depends where you choose to go. But then there's this other thing that you're talking about. Well, I go to a restaurant, there's no consequences. Um, there's always consequences in life, and that's not a bad thing. So um, thinking about that and thinking about how can I leave this experience with my body feeling good and proud of myself um, never fails. It always works. <laughs> Let me ask you finally about setting and reaching goals. <clears throat> Tell us how that fits with this whole process and perhaps life goals as well as diet goals, and I think your point is going to be interesting here. It is. I'm not big on goals because I've worked with a population of dysregulated eaters for more than 30 years, and they are so used to making goals and failing at them that I, just, I don't ever want to say the G word. Hmm. And so that's sort of part of it, and that speaks to the population that I work with. But the other thing is about goals and commitment. We do the things we want to do, and we make commitments. I have a, a friend who um, wrote a paper on this, and I, I read it, and I use it in um, uh, my book, Outsmarting Overeating. I cite his research that we make commitments because we don't want to do something, and we think that making a commitment will get us to do it. And what I do with people is I don't encourage them to make commitments. You know, heaven forbid to do a New Year's resolution about food uh, or, or fitness, but I try to, I work with them to get them to want to do the thing. And when you want, if I said to you, uh, there's, uh, I don't know, $4 million waiting for you at the lottery office, you need to make a commitment to go there. Do you need to set a goal, or would you be hanging up on me and you know in your car if you could drive in the snow? Um, so I'm not big on goal setting or making commitments for this population. I encourage people to get in touch with what they really want for themselves and to feel deserving and loving themselves, and then when you do that why wouldn't you take care of yourself and do the things that are healthy for you? And that's what works. I mean, I see it, I've seen it in my practice for 30 years. That's how you get to your, quote, goals. You, take, you do an end run around them. I don't know what they'd call that in hockey. <laughs> the author is Karen R. Koenig, and the book is Outsmarting Overeating. Karen, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Two final questions for you. Who do you want to get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of you? Uh, anyone who is a troubled eater. Um, I, I um, do, you know, I've, I've got many books. I have a, uh, I moderate a food and feelings message board, and you can find the link on my website. I blog twice a week. You can get the blogs that go right to your inbox by signing up. It's very easy. That link is also on my website. And um, I'm licensed to practice in the state of Florida, so I do psychotherapy and I do 
some uh, telephone coaching as well. And so if anybody's listening from sunny Florida, um, they can give me a call. I practice in Sarasota. And again, my website's uh, KarenRKoenig.com. And that's K-O-E-N-I-G.com, correct? Correct, yes. Got it. Karen R. Perfect. Well, once again, it's just been terrific having you on the show, Karen. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Lots of fun. Until next week, everybody, I hope your life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser, particularly as you need to. Now, take it within you to outsmart your overeating. Thanks to Karen. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.